The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology is not only the best learning management system, it's also a community of lifelong learners. Join On Education at the Schoology Next Conference July 16th through 18th in San Diego, California. This is a chance to immerse yourself in hands-on workshops, advanced product training sessions, and best practice presentations. If you want to learn more about Schoology and how they can help you advance what's possible, visit Schoology.com. I tell you, I'm transitioning to summer vacation in my head, that's for sure. (laughs) Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss whether summer vacation should be shorter, the Ontario election results, Apple's new iOS 12, and our guest this week will be teacher and author Brian Costello. This is like one of my most most favorite. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. I really? love E3. You love E3. Do yeah, you follow it's, E3? It's awesome. I I actually you know I kind of do, but not not to the level of. of I like look at the news at the end of the day, I guess. That's a good way to sure. put it. You know, those kinds of things. I went to E3 once. I think that's why I have... Yeah. So in a in a previous life, in like my third previous life, okay. I, I wrote um, for uh, video game websites, like not small ones, like not, not like the biggest of the big ones, yeah. but ones that were big enough to have money to send me to E3. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, and it was um, the one I went to was two thousand. I went in two thousand eleven. So, um, but for the longest time, it's been press only, right? Like you, you weren't the public can't go to E three. If you want to go to a games convention, you go to PAX, right? Okay. The Penny Arcade conference. Um, you you couldn't get into E three, but it's rad. It's it's a really cool experience being there. I didn't go to like I I didn't go to the, like the press events like the big big theater things that they do okay um but you know i booked meetings with a bunch of people i i once sat in a uh, theater um beside um uh, felicia day uh and uh talked about skyrim a year before it came out with uh with what's his name the the, the head developer from bethesda so wow. i got lots of some lots of pretty cool memories of of E3, but um, big news! Lots of lots of cool games coming out. Lots of cool stuff. So if you follow E3, you should uh, check out. I guess Polygon is probably my favorite source. Yeah, Polygon's awesome for news. Um, Anthem. Anthem is like I guess the next Destiny competitor. It looks like Destiny to me. So okay, I mean, is that what it eh. looks like? And who, yeah. What console is it on, or is it not console specific? I think he. I think. I think it's coming out for everything. For everything, okay. Yeah. Um, the big one the, that I'm interested in is tonight, the Bethesda conference Yeah. Um, event. They'll talk about the new Fallout, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, that looks uh, amazing as always. Their, Kingdom games, Heart- their games are ridiculous, Bethesda. Absolutely. Kingdom Hearts 3 got a release date today. That just happened, like literally like 10 minutes ago. Uh, they announced the release date uh, for Kingdom So if you're a Kingdom Hearts fan... Which you know, everyone should be a Kingdom Hearts fan. Uh, January twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. My wife, who I haven't told this news to yet, uh, will be happy to hear it. I'm going to actually keep it a secret and let her listen to it on the podcast. Oh, um, that's a good be idea. <laughs> be like, did you listen to the podcast yet? <laughs> I got some news for you, but you it's on the podcast. <laughs> We've hey, been Cheryl, it. Kingdom Hearts three, <laughs> January twenty fifth. Book it. Um, 
Joe Lynch, actually, who we've interviewed before, yeah, um, is a big fan of Unravel, the game called Unravel that EA made, and they announced Unravel Two. So this is the one with the yarn, Yarny, the the character that had like a string. Yeah, and you use the string as like a physics element to like climb up and do a bunch of things. It's very cute. Very, it's actually really difficult. You know, you have to really think right. through a bunch of different puzzle solving abilities. So if you're that kind of uh, gamer, you like to solve puzzles. Man, that game is awesome. So here's the thing, Unravel Two is out now. Wow, they, they announced it yesterday, and it <laughs> and is like, out. Here it is. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. That's cool. So if you're if you're kind of artsy, if you like if you like uh, great you know environments and 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 cinematic music and and kind of some cool physics in a in a platformer, uh, Unravel Two is is out and pretty exciting. So that's E3. E3 is cool. I'm pumped. Um, what else are we talking about? Oh, sad news. Not pumped. Yes. So. Listen, Anthony Bourdain is one of my heroes. I, I'm, I've followed his career since Kitchen Confidential days. Yeah. Um, his first show, which was called A Cook's Tour, was on the Food Network. Yeah. Um, and uh, was absolutely f- fantastic. Um, one of the, my favorite episodes of TV anywhere is the episode of A Cook's Tour where... Bourdain goes to the French Laundry in uh, in California. Okay. Thomas Keller's restaurant, and Thomas Keller just blows the doors off the place for him. It makes him a like a thirty two course custom menu with a um, a, a nicotine infused custard for dessert <laughs> for, for for Bourdain, and just knocks them out. Um, it's it's a great episode. So if you I don't know if it's on YouTube or anything. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But sure. it's it's a it's a cook's tour uh, where they're at the French Laundry in uh, in California at Thomas Keller's restaurant, and it is it is absolutely a phenomenal because you can see how emotional Bourdain got about eating amazing food, and yes. I think that's where I get some of that from is you know the idea that food is something that connects people, and. Um, you know, reminds us all of our shared humanity and stuff like that. Um, and I think that Tony did that better than almost anyone. He reminded us all of the things we had in common, despite all of the, you know, crappiness around us. You know, everyone sure. can sit down and have a good meal together and enjoy it and, and should more often. And I think the world would be a lot better place if uh, if we could all just sit down and eat together every once in a while. Uh you know, and enjoy uh, really good special. Food. Yes. <laughs> so I've been pretty bummed out. It's funny. I've gotten worse, um, more bummed out about it as the day has went on and as the days have went on now yeah. since I since I found out. Because now you're getting a lot of articles about just how absolutely great he was and um, how someone with such a rough exterior was so inspiring to so many people um so it's a big loss it's a big loss big time and um you know it reminds you that you know just just because you're successful and famous and rich doesn't mean you got it you got it all together so uh you know hopefully this reminds people to reach out and and talk to to people and 
and share and and love and be compassionate and be kind because uh no you never know so you know talk to talk to someone um for sure and i'm not saying the the people who are struggling i'm saying you know i'm taking it on myself you know if i you know see someone that looks down or um you know in just in general i just i want to try to talk to people more have more positive connections with people i think um so i've been thinking about it a little bit i guess that's a good that's a good takeaway from from that i mean from the sadness of that uh, this article from U.S. News, that's what we were bringing this up, basically says that we should make summer vacation actually shorter because it's negatively affecting uh, our poor students, uh, the, the uh, students that are economically disadvantaged uh, because they they don't have the access um, that many of our other you know middle class or uh, upper class students have as far as to... I guess to educational type of things, Mike. I'm not sure exactly how you know what they're what they're saying uh, within the article itself, but we're gonna link that article there. And basically, it just says that that there it further makes uh, that divide between our rich and our poor students. That's what the article is claiming um, as far as uh, within it. It just came out uh, on June 7th. The article, so it's very recent. I thought it was a really interesting take on it, though. I I guess. And, and I and, and really, the article went in a multitude of ways. One of the things that it said was, uh, many of our 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 poor students are eat breakfast and lunch at school, um, and right. they may and they may uh, that may be their two main meals of the day that they are guaranteed, um, and they know that each day they're going to get those meals, and then, so then the summertime comes around and those things are are in flux again. Do you know what I mean? So I could see that, but I didn't know how that had to do with whether or not they would perform as well the following year. You know what I mean? So basically this article is saying summer vacation comes around. You actually as a student will lose all kinds of information. And the whole first month of school, your teachers have to re- review everything, right. uh, which I have a hard time with that. But maybe there is data that supports that. What do you think? Well, I mean, so it's it's also talking about um, parents that that spend money on like outside stuff, like camps and stuff like that, you know, yes. which you know goes without saying is something that people who have more money can afford to do, and people with less couldn't. So it makes sense, and and so they're speaking to that also in the sense that it keeps kids engaged, like it keeps their minds on, like it, they're sure. they're going still. So so they they're constantly. You know, still using their their minds and 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 thinking about things, and so they come back to school still in that sort of mode, even if it's a little bit different. It doesn't necessarily have to be academic. You don't have to take your kid to a math camp. Sure, you can you can take them to a robotics camp or a Minecraft camp, which are popular now. Yeah. Um, but it's still keeping uh, students' heads kind of going and thinking, and so um, what you have is is um, students who um, don't have the Access. money for that, yeah. you know, are, are spending most of their time, you know, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not saying I have a problem with this or spending their time just doing other things like, like just playing or, 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 um, watching TV or, or whatever. Um, and you know, I, I actually, <laughs> it's funny cause I've seen an article, I read an article recently that talked about, um, uh, parents that ask whether, um, teachers are preparing like packets for them uh for oh, the summer horrible. uh 
And it's like, no, no, go, go for a walk with your kid. Um, yeah. you know, teach them about the trees and the leaves and, you know, spend time with yeah. your children. Make connections. Not, yeah. not making them do math On a uh, so they can, yeah. it's ridiculous. So, um, you know, I, I, three months is a long time. Uh, it's, it's a long time to be off. There's definitely a stronger argument for the year being shorter than this, maybe. Um, certainly uh, competing against other nations in terms of, um, you know, the, the global market and, and stuff like that. Uh, shorter school year nations don't compete as well as nations that have, you know, schooling all the time. Um, so, so there's, there's a, there's a, you know, an economics argument to the, the bad, the, the, the negativity of having a, a longer summer holiday in a, in a shorter school year. Uh, so there's, there is interesting arguments to be had. Um, so it's, it's definitely worth conversation. I, I like my summer. I, I like, you know, what, we're we're going to be busy this summer, man. And we're doing a lot of cool stuff and, um, yeah, and I was just gonna say I'm happy that my kids have the summer off, and yeah. I don't and I don't try to force them into more learning. Though I yeah. see my kids laying around and they are reading their books that they are passionate about reading. You know, right. uh, do they play a little bit more video games than they would in the normal you know things? Yes. Of they would. Do they play outside more? Than they would they during the school year. Well, especially in Minnesota, <laughs> that's an absolute yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's an you know you too in Canada. You're going to have a, that opportunity to be able to get outside. So being able to get away from the classroom life, you know, the school life, I think right. that's a great thing. It's a and then my kids then get a sparkle in their eye about school coming up. You know, instead of it being like a dread, they're like, hey, we're gonna we get to go back there. You know. And, my friends and we get to do you know that social part that they missed you know as far as that and those connections they're ready to go back uh and i think that same thing happens with us you know what i mean as as, uh teachers you know we get that that inkling we're like yes we're ready to go back we're passionate we're like we have some cool ideas we're ready to implement uh and so on 100 percent. we bought isaac a wacom tablet a drawing tablet yeah um for his birthday and uh you know if you don't if you don't think that's learning, then you know we, we got to have a conversation because he's going to be doing a lot of art, a lot of drawing, and uh, using Photoshop and stuff like that this summer. And, yeah, and I'm let me excited. let me know how the, those are too. Because oh, I, I well, I, I mean, they're historically yeah. amazing. They're the the leader in terms of quality, right? So uh, yes. we're excited to see what he does with it. We he's excited about it. He loves to draw. He's a very good artist for his age, and um, you know we're we're looking forward to it. So. Uh, I mean, no definitive answer on whether the school week should be shorter from us or not, I guess. No. But uh, <laughs> but uh, certainly do what you can with it and uh, and have some fun, too, because that's important. Um, when we come back, we're going to uh, recap the results uh, from the Ontario election, uh, share some awesome resources for elections that might inspire you to bring uh, politics and elections into the classroom and have a conversation again about uh, arming teachers. The end of the school year is finally here and we have an awesome professional development opportunity. Badge Summit 2018 is happening at Columbia College on June 23rd in Chicago, Illinois. We have three tickets to give away. 
If you're listening to this ad and want a chance to win a free ticket, all you need to do is follow us on Twitter at OnEducationPod. Go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Just send us a DM with the screenshot on Twitter. For more information, go to badgesummit.weebly.com. Okay, welcome back. Well, there was an election, Glenn. Oh, I know. <laughs> You're going to tell us about it. <laughs> well, yes. So, there was an election. Um, the NDP did not win. Um, mm. There was some interesting uh, data coming out of the polling uh, in the last week or so that talked a lot about the distribution of votes. This is very much... Uh, a, a familiar argument to the electoral college slash popular vote issue hmm. that faced Democrats. Um, what I think we had now, now that being said that the NDP also did not win the popular vote. So they did not get more votes okay. uh, than the progressive conservative. So the result is there's a progressive conservative government, a majority government. They won the, uh, they won more seats than anyone else. And, um, Hey, Doug Ford is going to be the premier of Ontario. God help us. Um, <laughs> and the NDP came in second, uh, I believe 33 seats. I should have, you know, pulled that up before we started, but, you know, whatever. It's around 33 seats. Uh, we, we were running as high as 40, um, but the uh, majority uh, was, I believe, 63. So, um not really, I mean, close, I guess. One of the problems the NDP faced is that a majority of their vote is concentrated, um, very similar to Democrats in urban areas. Uh, suburbs were dominated by PC voters, okay. um, and, and, and medium-sized towns were dominated by PC uh, voters. Um, Downtown Toronto, there's probably about five or six ridings. Those all went NDP. Uh, Hamilton, which has typically been an NDP stronghold, uh, went NDP. And Northern Ontario uh, tends to go NDP. But uh, no, it was a tough. It was a tough election. Pekka also did not uh, win. Um, the hmm. North Barry riding uh, also did not win. Barry has been typically a conservative stronghold even like in the 2015 election uh when basically trudeau dominated um the whole country virtually yeah. um uh pcs or well not pcs conservative party of canada candidates won both barry um ridings uh in 2015 which is uh which is was weird uh not weird to you if you live here but uh certainly weird when you look at an electoral map that's uh, all red, uh, and then there's literally two blue dots um, just north of Toronto, and that's, you know, that's us. Dang. Is, yeah, you, yes. you're telling me. You don't have to live here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but listen, it was an awesome, it was an awesome experience. It was an awesome fight. Pekka um, was a, a fantastic candidate. We raised more money than we've ever raised um, in Barrie. Uh, which again is a is a historically conservative riding. We got more votes, I think, than we've ever gotten. Um, yeah. And uh, he, you know, did super well. And and I couldn't be prouder. Uh, unfortunately, I'm the only guy with work left to do uh, because I'm the uh, the money guy. Oh, so yeah. now I get to write checks and pay bills and do the audit. Sure. Um, which is terrible. 
but uh, I was I was happy to be part of it as much as I uh, as much as I was, and um, you know I, I think that uh, uh, as far as how this relates to education, I think the the problem um, that we're going to face is that Doug Ford is not going to find uh, as many budget shortfalls and inconsistencies as he thinks he's going to find. And so, you know, when he says we're going to make up, we're going to pay for all of the things that I say we're going to pay for by finding ways to cut inefficiencies in the system. And, you know, he frames that as respecting the taxpayers. But the problem is, is that he's I don't think he's going to find as much as he thinks there is. So then he's going to fall back on cutting what conservatives typically cut, which is social programs and... Mm and uh social services and public service mm-hmm. and so that's you know teachers Education. yep teachers and doctors and hospitals and nurses and mental health and we're really worried about that that's uh, it's it's not this isn't a union thing this is you know this is people te- taking care of people and that's typically what canadians have been the most proud about doing and um so we're a little nervous here we'll see what happens you came across uh, this thing about Federal School Safety Commission. I want you to go ahead and give us a rundown on that. Yeah, so the there was a meeting, of the first meeting, I think, of the Federal School Safety Commission. And uh, I put in our notes that DeVos didn't attend the meeting, of course. Why would uh, she? Why? <laughs> she, was, she was in Europe gathering ammo for uh, why public schools don't work, um, supposedly. And uh, basically, the takeaways from the meeting are, number one, that we shouldn't arm teachers. So giving a teacher a weapon is not a, is not a solution. Um, and it could cause, so as, as we've talked about, so many problems that come along with that. And then number two, that we should properly fund mental health services in schools. Uh, many uh, schools don't have school counselors. Uh, many schools here don't have our social worker that actually works within the school and then plays that liaison ability between um, you know, social services and social work inside the school uh, to be able to go ahead and give those proper services to our, our students that need it the most. And all of these students uh, obviously had mental health issues and being able to go ahead and address those things very early on and give them ability to be able to go ahead and, and do something, you know, uh, early on, it, there's a, a, you know, at least that's a, a solution. Uh, but arming teachers was, of course, on the top of the list, it said, uh, that shouldn't even be uh, considered for a multitude of reasons, which is what we've been talking about here anyway, too. Right. Oh, of course. Funding mental health seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Funding mental health is is should be something that we do, like you just described. As far as in Canada, um, we or we envy you guys uh, social care. It's just your program as far as healthcare. Uh, but one of the things that we even lag further behind in the United States is the properly funding mental health uh, and the ability for people to be able to seek that out uh, and to be able to get it in a in a reasonable amount of time. So that is, it's such an important topic that a lot of people, you know, it's kind of like the taboo topic that we shouldn't, it shouldn't be taboo. Um, 
mental health is is every, is is one of the things that we all need <laughs> and it should be part of a, you know again it's a cultural kind of thing we should accept that that that's an okay thing to go ahead and talk to mental health professionals about all kinds of things to make sure that they can address things like depression that we talked about you know as far as Anthony Bourdain or uh, these kids that have they they need to talk to professionals and be able to go ahead and have some uh, develop some coping skills uh, mm -hmm. because they have rough uh, lives. Absolutely, it, it's just it seems so obvious to me. I, I I'm running out of words for stuff like this yeah. because it just seems like it's a no brainer. Like why why is this even up for debate? Is is this really? something we're going to argue about that there should be more funding for mental health and education yeah and that teachers shouldn't have guns uh it's, it's just, i mean yeah boy oh boy it seems ridiculous I, but it yeah it's the middle of the argument it's crazy that that's where it's, it's at absolutely wild so um so yeah that's all we have for policy and politics when we come back we'll uh We'll chat about something a little bit more light. Uh, the Worldwide Developers Conference is uh, just just wrapping up, and uh, the keynote happened uh, this week, and we'll talk about what that might mean for educators. On Education is brought to you by Audible. And Audible wants to give you guys a free audiobook download. Free, Glenn. Free. For free. We love free. Free is the best price. So if you go to <laughs> audibletrial.com, slash on education that's audibletrial.com slash on education and sign up for a uh, trial you can get a free audiobook on us yes yes you should go do that right now uh that would be amazing all right well welcome back to the podcast this week uh worldwide developers conference apple's uh yearly conference dedicated to software and uh and and apps uh was this week and the keynote is what typically kicks it off and it basically is a chance for apple to talk about all of the cool things that are going to be coming uh, i have a bit of a list i'm gonna slowly go down them because uh there's some really interesting stuff going on here and uh and some things that might uh, be good for you as a teacher especially uh, if you're using uh, iPads or have a one-to-one -one program like I do. So the first thing that was super interesting in this uh, keynote was iOS 12, so the newest version of the Apple uh, iPad and phone operating system uh, will be out. And uh, one of the really neat things was that all the devices that are currently running iOS 11 uh, will also run iOS 12. This is something that has bothered educators and districts for a long, long time. The idea that uh, every time Apple releases a new version of iOS, uh, a whole bunch of devices kind of fall off the back um, that can't be updated. And uh, while they can be potentially used, I suppose, uh, they can't necessarily have the same features as, as other devices. So this means that if you have a whole bunch of devices running iOS 11, you'll be able to run iOS 12, uh, and that's super helpful. It means that uh, you know at least you get spared from spending money for another year. Um, that we is just nice. bought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not everyone has. We've talked about this a million times. Not every school, not every district has the same amount of money, 
And if a school or district just dumped a whole bunch of money into buying iPads, I, I mean, I, I think it's a reasonable expectation for them to last at least a little while uh, yes, without being obsolete, obsolete, obsoleted, obsoleted. <laughs> How about just obsolete? Rendered, <laughs> Becoming obsolete. O- rendered obsolete uh, by by Apple. I am a yes. I love it. I'm a lyrical gangster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the new uh, a, a new app so um, I actually out of all the things it's crazy the things I get excited about I guess but you know one of the things I got geeked up the most about was this measuring app this AR measuring app so okay. new app uh, I think it's just called measure which is very typically Apple um, <laughs> and and you turn it on and, and you can um, hold your iPad up to anything they had a suitcase in, in the example they did at the keynote and you can um, measure things in AR. Uh, so you, you you start in the corner, you press press on the screen, it, it creates a, 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 a measuring point, and then you you know move your iPad down to you know the other corner and and touch your iPad and it creates a line and it shows you how long that line is. And then if you create add on more lines, you can you can measure the volume of the of the That's suitcase. Awesome. Uh, or whatever. Uh, it, it was pretty cool, and and I have to say that you could use this in so many applications. It, I I in my other previous life, I was in industrial sales, and yeah. I can't tell you how many times I could have used an app like this to measure a length of pipe or a, a length of you know wire mesh or something like that. If I was um, you know looking to quote someone something. Uh, there's so many, uh, you know, industrial salespeople or people who have to measure things for their jobs constantly, uh, construction workers and, and stuff like that, that are going to be using their phones because it's going to potentially even, it would be awesome if it saved uh, measurements uh, yeah. in, in the background or like took a, took a picture of it yeah, with the measurements it on it. it, would, it would, yes. There would yes, be some pretty rad applications for school and, and for work in this and, uh, I, I I got really geeked up about a measuring app. I couldn't. <laughs> I was like, "What? This is awesome!" And I tell you, it was one of those things that you know we've we've kind of we haven't been like crazy excited about AR. Uh, I mean, I love AR and I think it's neat, but we haven't like went nuts about it. You know, in one of our very first pot, actually, our very first, first podcast, pod, I think it was yes, was about the Apple Education event, and and we spent some time talking about AR. And I'll tell you that this is one of those ways where you could actually get people using AR all the time, potentially. Um, Yes. I mean, you'll have whole math units in, especially the younger grades, uh, dedicated to measuring things. And imagine being able to go outside with your iPad and do like scavenger hunts where you where you take an iPad around and, you know, the teacher says, go measure the, the length of the you know the the crossbar of the the monkey bars yes what measurement is that right i mean you could do whole like assignments uh outside measuring things it'd be the best i, I got so excited thinking about <laughs> thinking about some Measure. of the cool things you could do just measuring things with an ipad who would have thought huh? how come this wasn't happening before i, I, I mean know. maybe it that's was that's what i was but... thinking too yes <laughs> 
that guy, the the guy who, the, I shouldn't say guy, the person, the group that made the measuring app for AR that already exists that no one knows about is really angry right now because <laughs> I'm talking about it being the best thing ever. And he's like, we have that already. <laughs> it's been up 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sucks. <laughs> it's typical Apple, right? To, to to steal someone else's idea and just, you know. Revamp called, the idea. Exactly. Measure, measure for measure. iPad. <laughs> Anyways, that was cool. The Lego. Did you watch any of this at all, I guess? I, I did not. I did okay. not. Uh, but I, I mean, I read the show notes here, and, and this next section looks very, very interesting. So I got to find it on YouTube or something like that and see if I can I can link it in the show notes because uh, certainly what Lego's about to do with AR uh, is, is absolutely mind-blowing. And again, something with some pretty cool potential. There's going to be AR sets that, that can be activated, triggered by the complete set once you build it and you you hold your iPad up to it with this Lego app and yeah it will like form a scene around a living scene of activity and animation around the the one Lego piece that you built okay so in this case there was like a, a building and and when you when you activated the app it, it created like a little neighborhood around the building with other buildings and cars awesome. and people walking on the street and you could see it all in your iPad but you know obviously none of it was actually there um, and uh, you could like get into you could control it with like little Lego men and they dropped like Batman onto the scene and you could run run around with Batman and then jump into a car and then drive the car around the little neighborhood and I'll tell you um, it, it was pretty exciting stuff I, I got a little geeked up about it and uh, I I think that they're just getting started with this stuff, but the potential uh, is pretty astounding. I think you could do some really, really neat stuff, especially if you could, like, create your, again, the idea of creating your own, like, Lego's about creating your own things, or at least yes. it used to be about building your own things. Now it's a lot more about building the thing that's on the box and that's it. Okay. Um, but certainly if we could get back to a place where kids were just building whatever they wanted but then being able to take that thing they built and pump it into a maybe a like a predetermined um scene ar scene where yeah. they can then interact with that thing they built that doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be the thing on the box I think you could open up a whole world of opportunity uh, to explore not only just building, but uh, but uh, creativity on like a, a totally different level. Um, yeah, totally agree, man. It would be pretty neat. And then imagine if they linked in the ability to record video. Oh yeah, uh, from like be able to the, record the, the scene exactly. Right, and then you know you could then you could get kids building scenes with lego and then creating videos uh with narrative and stuff in them from their ar i mean just my my mind goes crazy thinking about how you could use this stuff uh in school so hopefully they're listening <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're not <laughs> hopefully <but> they are <laughs> lego if you're listening i'm i'm available 
and uh, lots of ideas. Um, see, I mean, Siri needs a lot of work. Uh, Siri is terrible, generally yeah. speaking. Um, so they're they're talking a lot about Siri upgrading it, upgrading it nice. um, which might be helpful for students um, if they can like set up reminders for for due dates. There was there was this uh, interesting example. Uh, with Siri shortcuts and auto scripts, uh, which was a lot like the If This Then That uh, okay. website uh, or Automator. If you've ever used the Automator app, which is very probably underused, um, but it's also very complicated to use if you look at it. Um, have you ever seen this? You, you've used the Automator app on on the, on a MacBook. You I don't even not. know what I'm talking about. No, nope, I do not. So, so there's explain, an app. Explain it to us. So there's an app in default, like it's part of the OS called Automator. And when you go in there, there's a whole bunch of like uh, macros and scripts that you can run. Okay. So I used it once to resize about a thousand photos all at once. So I, I said, you know, pull the photo from my photos folder, uh, change the size of all of them to, to this, and then save them all with the uh, prefix added to the file name of resized uh, and then run and it runs the script uh, and it did cool. all that and it take took about an hour uh, to you know open a photo resize it save it close it but so I don't have to do that myself right of course yeah uh, so this is built in to MacBooks if you didn't know about automator you should look at it I mean it's a little complicated but I'm sure that there's resources online for how to do it but Siri is gonna have um, some like shortcuts or auto scripts related to apps that you've installed on your phone. So, okay. what would be a good what would be a good example of this? So you um, would basically say something, and they would do a series of tasks versus just doing one simple thing. Like when I say "call mom," and it can't do that. <laughs> wow! It's like yeah, that's a rephrase whole other your story. question. That's Call why mom. Terrible. <laughs> but something like "Hey Siri, I, I'd like to go to." so-and-so restaurant at 4 p.m. on Saturday, and I'd like to go with Glenn. Mm -hmm. And so then, oh, you know what Siri just Whoa. did? <laughs> did, it, did it read all that? It did. It was like, hey, Siri, I'd Mike, like I can one do, possibility I, I can do all of that. Tavern. I'm talking to Siri on my phone right now. I did that thing yeah. that you're not supposed to do on podcasts, and that's activate Siri on the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry for anyone's phones who just turned on and tried to book an appointment for dinner with Glenn. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> Glenn will go to dinner That'll with be... all of you, and it's on him. Perfect. Yes. Um, it's at... So join me at ISTE. I'll be there. <laughs> yes. Actually, yes. Uh, yeah, I totally activated Siri. That's funny. That um, it's funny. It's the first time uh, Siri's actually responded when I actually said, "Hey Siri." Um, <laughs> So that's so that's something. That's something I actually good. bought a Google Home the other day uh, because I oh, hate Siri you? so much. Um, so I have it in my be my bedroom, and I'm getting another one uh, for the living room, um, and it works really well. Good. In fact, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, Siri needs an update. Uh, I'm sure Siri knows. <laughs> Siri needs an update and just doesn't like to talk about it, and that's why she doesn't talk to me anymore. Um, so uh, these scripts will go a long way to, you know, booking dinner with Glenn, um, yeah, and and, and mapping awesome my mapping my way there, tasks. yes, and telling me when I'm gonna need to leave 
and putting it on the calendar and doing that all at once. That's kind of the the goal. So yeah. you don't have to say, you know, do this and then stop and then do this and then stop and then do this. It'll do all of those things at the same time, which is awesome. I love that's it. That's kind of the way it's supposed to be, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. I sort of missed this big part about parental controls okay. um, because... Um, you know, I, I was in the middle of a, a class. I The kids love watching these things while they're working. Um, and they, they'll look up every once in a while and go, oh, that's neat. And then they'll go back down to work. I, I had it with older, I had it on when the older kids were in my room. Uh, so yeah, they'll look up and they'll go, oh, cool. And then they'll go and come back to work. <laughs> um, so we were watching it in my room. and But I was helping a, a student at the time that parental uh, control things came up. So I kind of missed what they were talking about. But... From what I gather, you're going to be able to limit device use uh, on phones tied to your child's accounts and stuff like that. So okay. this is this is helpful, uh, I suppose. Um, yep. I'm we are really going to try to limit Isaac's uh, device time. We want him outside a lot more. We didn't spend like seven thousand dollars on our backyard for no reason. <laughs> um, so he should probably get his butt out there and, and play in it and go swimming. Of course. So we're gonna um, we're gonna look at this when it comes out. Uh, I guess it's I guess it's not out in the fall, but I have beta access, so um, I think I'll, I'll test probably it out. yeah yeah for sure. Um, the oh the me emojis me emojis okay. seem Memoji. fun. So this is like bitmojis. You've you've actually asked me about bitmojis before. Uh, you know so the emoji. <laughs> yeah, so Memoji is the Appleified, Appleified mm-hmm. version of this. Basically, you ju- you're just making an emoji character, and then you can like get that person, that character, to do a bunch of things or look different, or you know, wear different hats or show facial expressions. But it's it's all with a character that you make that can potentially look like you. I mean, uh, I don't think anyone wants a pasty white bald <laughs> emoji. <laughs> <laughs> or even to look at that, but <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll make one from the from the from the chest up or whatever, and people will be <laughs> fine with that, I suppose. Uh, so emojis are cool, and group FaceTime. Yes, finally, finally a competitor to Skype or Google Hangouts. Yeah, this is about time. We need this, this is about keeping people in the ecosystem. Yes. We need this. <laughs> That's all this is. 32 this people is... in a group. Yes. That's, <laughs> be... That would be that would be kind of annoying, but but I well, could definitely see. Yeah, I mean, instead of Google Hangouts, I could just click a button, get everybody on the, on the FaceTime call done. You know? Right. I bet you Google just, the, especially the Hangouts team, they just sat there and went, oh, we've had this for like 10 years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> you guys suck. So, Circa 2008. <laughs> but they do it with, like, the biggest splash. Like, it's typical Apple, right? Mm-hmm. Group FaceTime. Now, Could you coming, imagine this happening? Yes, coming soon. We it. <laughs> we're disrupting. I love the words disrupt. We are disrupting talking. Disrupt talking with group FaceTime. And the Hangouts guys just look at each other and want to throw things at the TV. Exactly. Because this is all about keeping <laughs> keeping people in the keeping ecosystem. Exactly. But hey, listen. In its defense, if if you are a one to one school uh, and have a whole bunch of iPads, 
uh, in a whole bunch of Apple devices, then this is something you've needed for a while and haven't had. So, yes, awesome. I mean, it's good. Thank you for doing something you should have done five years ago. Um, but, you know, I'm glad we have it now. Um, last one. The last one is probably the most important one of them all. Uh, and that's that <laughs> the Apple Watch operating system is getting the podcast app. Uh, so now you can listen to On Education on your watch. Yes, super important. I think that that's the most important thing uh, no, not really. Um, anyways, it's cool. <laughs> it's all right. I, I I don't know where. I mean, do the do the watches have like a speaker? I guess they do, right? Because yeah, you they can do. talk on them yeah, now, do. right? Yeah, they so, have a speaker. Here you go. So you can listen to your the. But oh, I everybody's guess, gonna I go guess, wireless. Everybody, though, isn't it? Yeah, everybody. Has I guess if you have the earbuds, yeah, the AirPods, mm-hmm. right? Those can connect to the watch. Or and any then, Bluetooth speaker, probably. Any Bluetooth headphones. Right, but what I'm saying is you wouldn't even need your phone because the, the, the watch takes calls now and yes. stuff like that. And now, like, you could have the the the, the, Bluetooth, the wireless earbuds and your watch, and you could just listen to the podcast through your watch, which is, okay, cool. Yeah, I wonder how much data it'll hold. I, I guess there's storage sizes, too, for these watches. I... I actually, believe it or not, owned an Apple Watch at one point and sold it when I switched to Samsung at one point. Um, but okay. I, I'm back in the I'm back in the cult, and um, okay. happy to be here. Welcome I back. Guess. Yeah. <laughs> so drinking awesome. the Kool Aid again. Anyways, that's the Apple event. There's lots of cool stuff here. I know we like to make fun of it a little, but it's fun to make fun of it. Uh, uh, but there's some really good developments here for teachers. And, and 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 school so hopefully uh you take a look at the the keynote we'll post that because i think that that's publicly available now put that in the show notes and uh yeah no when we come back uh we will talk to uh brian costello about his book the teacher's journey and about anything else he wants to talk about Friends, On Podcast Media is getting set to launch not one, but two new podcasts this summer. And we're excited to tell you about the first one, On Politics. On Politics is hosted by politician, professor, and human rights lawyer, Craig Scott. On Politics will take deep dives into policy and politics. You definitely come away learning something every week. To stay up to date with On Politics, follow the show's Twitter account, at OnPoliticsPod. Welcome back, everyone. We want to welcome Brian Costello to the show. Brian, really excited to have you on today. And I've been reading your book, The Teacher's Journey. I absolutely love it, man. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your location. So, Glenn, thanks so much. Um, my name is Brian Costello. I have been in education for, and this is one of those things I keep, every time I think about it, I have to, I have to count it up in my head, yeah. uh, which means I've been in it for a decent amount of time, um, 11 years. Uh, nice. I think this is my or 12, maybe it's 12, uh, but <laughs> you'd think I would know this, but, um, so I started as, uh, I didn't start teaching. Um, I didn't go to college to be a teacher. I went to college, um, to learn things and to play soccer and, um, yeah. kind of just be a, be an independent person for a little while, uh, which seems like everybody kind of 
like hates on that nowadays. And I think that that was really important for me. Uh, I learned a lot about learning and, and getting and growing. So I didn't go to college to be a teacher. Uh, I, I got out of college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Just knew there was like three or four things I definitely didn't want to do. Like sure. be a, do- be a doctor things. or a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I didn't go to school for doctor. Like I could have been a lawyer. I was a philosophy major and a political science major. And sure. I was like, I, that would have been the, ma- the normal thing to do. But Lots of uh, work as a lawyer these days. that is true um but i I knew that wasn't that wasn't for me Uh, i had no idea what else so i I went into uh got a school went into business i became a uh, financial advisor it was quite literally the worst job i've ever had Uh, i know there are a number of people who probably love that job but for me it was awful like i just hated every minute of it um almost every minute of it like it was just (laughs) it was not it was not for me uh and you know after about about a year working uh, for the company I was with. Uh, my wife, my fiance at the time, my wife now, she knew I was miserable. And she said, you just do something else. She said, you can wait yeah. tables until you find another job. And so I quit that job and went back to waiting tables, which I've been doing since I was you know, 14. Sure. And uh, I still do now. Totally and it's, uh, you know, it's part of uh, growing up where I live. I live in southern New Jersey, right by, right by the beach. And it's part of, uh, you know, it's part of the culture around here. So if you grow up around here, you work. Uh, most people work at restaurants or um, at service related industries. It's, I think it builds a lot of character too. So it's good. Absolutely. Um, then I went, she goes, you know, you really like kids. You should try subbing. Uh, so I called up my mom as a teacher and she uh, talked to her superintendent and he got me a job as a building sub. So yeah. That's kind of how I got started um, in school. And the first day, uh, I write this the stories in, bo- in the book. It's also a story I tell um, a lot of a lot of times. I, I walked in the building, and they're like, "So you're going to direct traffic, uh, help kids get to the classrooms?" <laughs> I said, "I've only been here for th- like 30 seconds. I don't even know yes. where I'm going." Exactly. So I just stood in the hallway. I'm like, "Go that way." <laughs> and these kids are cr- like, the kids are crying because they're lost and like the first time in this school, and like they're little like, and I'm just like, "Go that way. <laughs> Find the teachers down there." They'll, they'll they'll tell you their names. They'll help you. Uh, and then and then from there, I unpacked boxes of books and delivered them to classrooms. And before I left there that day, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Like that awesome. was it. That was what I had to do. So wow. Um, since love- then, I've worked in just about every job in a school district, except for administration. And you know, I've done some. I've helped out with the custodial staff. I've helped out with the cafeteria staff. I've um, you know, I've been a sub, I've been an aide, I've been a one-on-one, I've been a kindergarten, first and second grade teacher. I currently teach uh, seventh and eighth grade um, digital innovations, and awesome. I'll be moving to robotics next year. That is awesome. Um, so I was reading your book, and I immediately connected with this statement. I'm going to quote you here, and it says, during all the ups and downs throughout my career, the most important catalyst for my success has been people. And like many of us, you've you've gone to Twitter to connect with other educate, educators uh, who, as you put in your book, who are different, you know, than maybe the person just right, you know, your colleagues that you work with. And you wanted to push the status quo. Um, so for teachers that don't use Twitter uh, to connect with and share and learn from other educators, why is this so important? Um, and so when I think about what I've gotten, what Twitter has helped me with. Uh, what it's helped me find is it's helped me find people who um, who understand what I want to do in school and education. They they understand my point of view. They they're people who I can bounce ideas off of, and because we um, we view things in a similar way, sure. uh, they can 
provide me with some suggestions that, you know, I don't get elsewhere. And those other people are important too. So, I mean, it's important to have people on, on all sides of the coin. And sure. one of the things uh, I try to point out and I try to say to people is that it, it doesn't have to be Twitter. It could be anywhere. Wherever it is that you can find good people to help you, to help you grow, to help you reflect, to help just help be in your corner to find those good people to have. You know, if you find them on Facebook or Pinterest or Google Plus or wherever you find them, find good people somewhere. I mean, find them in your building, find them in your town, but find people outside of that too. Because if you don't, you're really limiting yourself. Um, and it was very isolating for me as a as a new teacher not to have um, people who had thought about teaching and learning the way that I thought about teaching and learning. Yes. And, and it's funny. Connect, connected with that, um, in the book, you discuss the vital importance of mentoring in education. And there's a quote here that you have. It says, the education profession does not do a good enough job of creating and supporting the next generation of educators. So can you tell us about the importance of, I think a big a, a bulk of your book is, is about coaching and mentoring. Yeah. Uh, so... When I get into and how I kind of get into coaching and mentoring is this this idea of giving back, right? So, um, and it comes back around to that point of people and finding people and what people have given me. So, throughout my career, people have made it possible for me to do the things that I've been able to do. They've given me opportunities and advice and, and guidance and, and mentored and everything else. And uh, so, I see mentoring and coaching as a way for us to give back uh, and help develop the next generation of educators. Uh, when I look at what we do in education on, on the whole and in general, when I talk to teachers, I did a lot, I've done a lot of talking to teachers uh, about what mentoring looks like in their school district. And there are some school districts that do it very well. But on the whole, we do a really bad job at mentoring. Uh, we're not, we don't really get the concept uh, as, a, as a profession. I feel like we miss the mark on a, on a, really, uh, a really large scale. Yeah, I was thinking about that um, as far as, you know, it, throughout my career and whether or not that that actually occurred. And, and it that happens too rarely as far as people stepping up and, and really develop, have a developed program to really mentor you through uh, the ups and downs of the beginning of a teaching career, as you describe uh, in your book. And going along with that, um, there is that that we don't have too many people who are willing to take on student teachers. And, and you have a quote here by um, uh, uh, McGuire, and it says, some of the state's most highly skilled veteran teachers are reluctant to take on the extra responsibility of hosting a student teacher because they've just been asked to do so many other things. Um, so I thought back to my teaching career, and I've, I taught Spanish for 20 years before I took on this uh, instructional coach position, and I only took on one student teacher, and, and it was... For a variety of different reasons, I can make all the excuses I want, uh, but how do we get more people, uh, you know, master teachers to take on these pre-service teachers? Uh, I think it's a big part of this culture, right? So recognizing that what we have, there's this myth that we make ourselves, that we are self-created somehow, that our hard work is all it takes, right? That all we need to be successful is to work hard. And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? So if you, you can continue uh, to think that through, you can continue to pretend that, that nobody's helped you, 
but you've been given opportunities. You've been given the the ability to do so many things, uh, or even just permission to do so many things, right? And and so when I look at, um, you know, how do we how do we build the the profession up in a way that we are you know always looking to give back and and to build other people up? Um, I think that comes from developing that generation of, men, of of new teachers that value mentoring, that understand what it is uh, and and what it's not and, and how to identify your mentors uh, and how to also to um, to build up good mentor, good potential mentors, good people in the profession who want to give to others. Uh, because ultimately, if we're not doing that, we are we're selling short the next generation of teachers and our and our profession as a whole. Absolutely, Mike and I have talked. Uh, we talked to Rafranz Davis about this exact same question that we're about to ask you here, and and it's it comes up in your book, and basically, we just talk about teachers. We're often overwhelmed and definitely overworked we work on evenings and weekends and we bring stuff home and we're working during the summer too as you just described uh and even the evenings or the weekends or whatever might be on other jobs um and so there's a quote here that you that you have in your book it says work-life balance is a myth created from a misguided understanding of what balance means and so can you tell us about what you mean by this yeah absolutely so Starting with the first part of, of when we think about what balance is, we have this this static impression of balance as being some stationary thing that you have, right? You don't have balance. Balance is a verb, right? It, it, like it's a thing that you do. Uh, so balance is not going to be a fifty-fifty thing all the time. And the idea that that work is somehow going to be this eight-hour period of your day and you cut it off no matter what at this point in time and you walk home, like if you really love what you do, that's not that's not normal. Um, that's it, even if you don't love what you do, like even, even in jobs that you don't love, they, when you, when you finish the day, you go home to your family, it, it, that's still a part of who you are. So to try and pretend that it's not to try and isolate your, your life into different pockets, isn't really healthy. Right? It, it doesn't lead you to appreciate any of those or really allow you to, um, to embrace and really be present in the places where you are. So when I, when I talk about balance, I'm talking about not, um, you know, some, some static moment in time, you know, some snapshot where magically my life has been 50, 50 this today. And I spent half my day with my family and half my day at work. No, that's not it. That doesn't work. That's not a thing. Right. Um, you know, balance is about being present where you are, uh, about, about planning, about thinking about what you need uh, and where you need to spend the most time. And the the thing I try to, to point out to people the most about balance is it's about gradually readjusting to the middle, right? It's not it's not a it's not a scale that levels at fifty fifty. It's the tightrope walker, right? They're never they're they're rarely ever fifty fifty on the tightrope. They're constantly yeah. juggling from one side to the other. And as long as you don't fall off, you're doing all right. <laughs> I've, uh, it's funny, I have two interesting thoughts related to this, I guess. The first one is a, a quote from a, I don't know where, I know where I think of it recently, I'm not going to mention it, but uh, the quote was, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That, that's the first thing I thought of when, when you're talking about balance. I'm, I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life right now. Um, 
and I'm spending easily 25 hours a week doing this and things related to this. And um, I've been telling people constantly uh, the last couple months since March, basically, that I've never, I'm, I'm doing the best work of my life right now. Um, the second thing was that just last night, uh, Glenn and myself and Steve Isaacs were playing, we're playing, we were playing Stardew Valley uh, together on, on Steam. And, and it's funny, you got three games-based learning educators uh, in a room trying to play a video game. And all that I could think about was the ways that we could use this to help other teachers learn about games-based learning and how we could, you know, grow, you know, three dudes that, that love to play games and like talking about games and like sharing about how teachers can play games, how we could grow that into something where people might actually be interested in watching it. So it turned into something where we were literally just playing a video game, but it ended up being something where it was like, how can we turn this into quote unquote, I guess, work? Um, because it was something we love to do, but we love our jobs. We love what we're doing and we can't see ourselves doing anything else. So, uh, of course, uh, we found a way to, uh, bring it into our, our, our work life. Um, and that, that feels like balance to me too, a little bit in the sense that, um, I was enjoying thinking of, I got really excited. I sent Glenn like 15 messages last night after we were done, after we were done streaming about, dude, do you know what we could do with this? How, what we could do with Steve and like play games and talk about it and share it with teachers. Anyways, I, I, I totally get um, a lot of what you're saying there. It's, it is as much yeah, a frame of mind as it is anything it's maybe. That's true to a degree. I mean, there are days where no matter how much you love what you do, it's going to be work. There are some days that you go into work and it's just, it's just, you just don't feel it. Right. So oh, yeah. how do you, how do you make that work? How do you be, how do you manage to be present where you are? I think uh, there's, there's three ways you can love um, what you do to make, um, to make it work. Right. You either love, you love when you're teaching, you love your content, you love the people around you and you love yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And those three things all matter. And if you can't find point. one of those things each day, mm -hmm. uh, then then it's going to be hard, right? So some days you love the lesson you're teaching. It's just so much fun for you. And some days you love, you just have to love yourself enough to go in there and put in the effort because you respect yourself. And other days it's for the people around you, right? Like Totally. I'm I'm getting a lot of credit these days for, for making a year-long video game project. But um, hey, newsflash, it's the end of the year. <laughs> and now I have to mark 45 video games. Hey, that'll be, so. That means you get to play 45 <laughs> video games. So I mean, you have this, the, there's the upside to that, right? <laughs> it is that that is what it means yes I, it's in some ways yes uh it's about finding a way to be and care and love to love where you're at and to to, to really be immersed in the thing that you Absolutely. are doing so when i'm with my kids and with my family um you know I, do i sometimes check check my uh you know my notifications on my phone i mean sometimes i try to turn them off all the time so uh <laughs> i don't see them like sometimes when you know I'll, I'll peek at them but for the most part i try not to especially when we're out i try not to even take my phone out of my pocket sure um you know whereas you know when i'm at work uh i'm focused on work and then when my kids are asleep then that's when you'll find me online the most when you'll uh you know when i record podcasts when i write uh that's when i do that stuff is is after 
um, typically, I mean, sometimes I'll make time for it during the day, like this uh, particular example where, you know, this was a good time and it worked out. But most of the time it's, you know, kids are asleep, everybody's done, and I'll spend two, two and a half hours. People say, well, why don't you go to bed? Like, it's 9, 9 to 11.30, why up? Uh, yeah. No, most of my, most of the people I talk to nowadays are, uh, are on the West Coast because they're awake. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's like, well, why do you, why do you, why don't you go to bed early, get some extra sleep? This is the time that I have. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to take two and a half, three hours out of my day uh, when I can be spending that with my kids. I have two young kids. They're, you know, sure. two kids under the age of, under the age of six. Like, I have a five-year-old and a, and a, and a eight-month-old, and I don't want to miss it. Sure. So being present where, where I'm at is, is huge for me. Um, and my wife will probably, would probably still say, you know, you work way too much, you work all the time. But the reality is I, I try not to do that when I'm, you know, when I'm not. I try to do that work when they're not there, like when they're sleeping, when they're, you know, whatever, out for the day, doing whatever. Like that's when I usually will get the stuff done. That's awesome. So at the end of the, your, your book, uh, Brian, you have this call to action. It's, I think it's the name of the chapter um, where the teacher is the hero of their own story. So what advice do you have for teachers so they can navigate their own journey through teaching? So I, I think that there's two really important parts to this. Uh, the first part is to recognize that you're not someone else's hero, right? Everybody gets to be the hero in their own story. Uh, so Love that. Your job is not to be someone's savior, to be their hero. Your job is to be their guide, their helper, their mentor. You have the choice, right? You can either help them or you can hinder them. You can either be useful in their journey and helping them to figure out how to be their own hero, yeah. or you can make it worse. You can make it harder. You can be the villain. And you know, for me, as often as I try, I try to choose to be the, you know, to be the person who helps, to be someone who makes it easier for other people. Am I always successful? Maybe not. You know, I can't always guarantee that I will be, but the goal is one thing is to try to make other people successful uh, because that's really what teaching is all about anyway. Uh, and then the other piece is collect good people. You know, um, you can never have enough good people uh, in your corner, in your life for anything from the small stuff to the biggest things. When something goes, when things hit the fan, when something's bad, in your yeah. life and you need somebody knowing you have people good people in your corner that you can call call up or reach out to uh, at any time anywhere and say hey i need help i need this i'm struggling i am you know and those are the people who check in on you and those are the people who who say hey how's everything going haven't heard from you in a while uh, you don't have to talk to them every day they don't have to be they don't have to be like your best friend where you see them every day or once a week or you, you call each other for a half an hour for every Friday. Sure. It's just you need to have those people around and know they're there. Uh, it's how you develop mentors to begin with, but also it's about how you it's it, that's how you survive in not just education, but in life is to have good people and know they're there um, and know that when you need them, they're there for you. And when they need you, you can be there for them. I love that. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. Absolutely awesome conversation here. Uh, tell our audience about where they can purchase your book and how they can connect with you. Uh, so The Teacher's Journey is available uh, on Amazon and I imagine everywhere else books are sold. I don't know <laughs> if people buy books anywhere else, but uh, <laughs> it is available uh, in other places. Um, 
uh, paperback and ebook. I sign iPads. If so, if you, you buy the ebook version, I will, you know, etch my name right in the back of it. And uh, you can you can check and you can find out you, know, you can find out more about the teacher's journey at CostelloCorner.com, uh, where I keep inf- you know, information about the podcast, my blog, the book, um, my two children's books, the Will McGill series, awesome. uh, and. You know, all of my uh, educational training materials are available on there. And um, last but not least, the Global Audience Project, which this summer will be going through a major revamp. Um, we're going to just take a look at what I do with it and, and turn it turn it on its head and, and basically find a new way to use that space to amplify projects that kids are doing and, and share them with the world. That's fantastic. We'll make sure we put all of that information in the show notes. Uh, awesome. Thanks so much again, Brian, for joining us today. Awesome conversation. Thank you very much for having me. On Education is an on-podcast media production. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. You can get in touch with us or ask us questions to answer on air by visiting our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. Our sound engineer is Jake Codeweiss. He's on Twitter at JK Radio. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be honored if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.